When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Fangirls Podcast, where two sisters dive deep, deep, deep into beloved fantasy lore, characters, themes, theories, and more. Today is part two of our Ask Us Anything bonus episode featuring your incredible theory and deep dive fourth wing questions. And before we start, like always, content warning, this podcast is indeed rated R. I truly have no idea where the R rating is going to come from today, other than language, you know me, but you never know with us, so you have been (laughs) warned. We also, of course, talk spoilers, everything from the entire fourth wing book, the Iron Flame excerpt and speculation. And of course, anything else that Rebecca Yaros has said is on the table. This is literally nothing but spoilers and speculation. So if you haven't read the book, what are you doing here? Go listen to the book and come back. You are choosing violence if you have not read the book and you're listening to this. And now let us dive into these incredible theories from this incredible book and from this incredible community. So even dividing our AMA into two episodes with this one focused on fourth wing theories, there is unfortunately just no way we can get to all of your amazing questions. So please do keep an eye out on social media for more answers and new opportunities to ask your questions if you haven't heard them answered here. Also keep in mind that many of these questions and theories were asked by many different people. So we're going to credit the person who we first saw the question slash theory from. And last but not least, this is also just a friendly reminder slash disclaimer that these are only our opinions like we don't know what's going to happen in the series any more than the next person part of the fun of theorizing is just how many perspectives twists and unknown lore there is involved so in other words like there's just no wrong answers here and these are only ours I cannot wait to come back and listen to this episode after like two three more books have come out and just been like wow oh even Iron Flame like yeah we are so dating ourselves here it's okay part of the fun. So we're going to start off with the category of future book predictions. So Hello Steph 4 asks, if you had to guess the topic or major setting of each of the next books, what would it be? Lex, you kick it off. First of all, I'll just say here as we talk about Iron Flame, we are going to keep this brief because we are doing a whole bonus episode about Iron Flame predictions. It's going to be coming out on October 30th. So we know that the timeline for Iron Flame is six months. So that's about half a school year. So we can already confirm we'll get Conscription Day. We've already seen that in an excerpt. We have a whole bonus episode on it. We'll also, for second years, we'll have a lot more wielding training, which means we'll get a lot more of Professor Carr 
far. I know Nicole's excited about that. And, you know, just knowing that we'll be at Beskayeth, we'll go through the hand-to-hand challenges, the gauntlet, presentation day, and threshing from a second year's perspective. I personally think that Sloane will be one of our new main side characters, like the reader's champion who is now going through these experiences we went through with Violet last year. And then, of course, there's the back and forth between Zayden and Violet. We know that there will be a lot of challenges for them, both geographically with their dragons seem to be near one another and emotionally as our girl learns more secrets and just how to trust him again. Speaking of Violet, I think that we are going to get a lot more of Violet's family dynamics answered in Iron Flame as the story really continues focusing on Violet. You know, book one's ending set it up so well for that family drama and I'm so excited to tap more into that. I retweet everything you just said. I agree completely. I think we're very aligned with what we think is going to be the, the main themes of Iron Flame. I do think that book two will also be Violet getting more inducted into the rebellion, the challenging her thoughts and beliefs. You know, we're going to be, personally, I think we're going to be getting a lot of here's what actually is happening. We're uh, I think we just got like a taste or a brief skim of the surface in Fourth Wing. And going through an Iron Flame, we're going to get a lot more perspective, you know, from hopefully Brennan, maybe not a personal POV, but definitely talking to him more. I really hope, I, I have this in a minute, but I really do hope slash think that Brennan's going to become a main character for us. I, I think he's going to be more of a main character than Mira was in Fourth Wing. I also think that we know this from the book summary that's on Iron Flame in Amazon and all that kind of stuff that there is going to be an introduction of a big big bad character I have a feeling this is going to be a big bad character now for multiple books wait when you say the big the big bad character are you referring to the new vice commandant that one yeah so like the new vice commandant for instance like we know from the synopsis that he's I mean he was included in the synopsis. We can assume that he's going to be major in this book. And I think that Dane is also going to be a big, big bad in this book. I don't think we're going to even get close to a redemption arc yet for him in Iron Flame. I think that he's actually going to get worse before he maybe gets better. Again, I'm going to talk about that more in a second. I have a lot of things on that. He is just, I man, I just see him because he's going to think he's the good guy. Like always, he's going to think that he's doing the right thing. And it's just like, Gabby, Here, here's what I will say that I'm, I'm excited <laughs> for. I'm excited to learn how is Violet going and Imogen, how is Violet and Imogen going to be treated when they go back to Bezgaeth, they were supposed to die. I don't think Zayden's going to be a part of Bezgaeth in any way, shape, or form. I think he, by choosing to go after the Venon and to defend the city in the last battle of the book, he's not allowed to go back to Navarre and be safe. So how are Violet and Imogen going to agree with that at all? Really? But in the note, I'm I'm working on episode seven right now. So I like dissected the note from Colonel Atos. And it basically says like, you either abandon your position, aka like abandon your position as wing leader, as like a member of this Navarian leadership by going going after the Venon by going to defend the city or you go to this totally different outpost which is actually your assignment for war games by choosing to go after the Venon he abandoned his post yes and he wasn't supposed to survive either and so I I, I agree I don't I have no idea how it's gonna go here and I, I just I do think that nobody's just gonna let him and Sigail go and do their own thing like they're not gonna ostracize him when he is bonded to one of the most powerful dragons when he is one of the most powerful people he was not supposed to survive this attack no. and so I think there's gonna be a major dynamic where 
they're going to kind of like pretend like things are okay, maybe. And then he's obviously going to continue being even more so involved in the rebellion. To, to go back to the original question, I, I do think that the major theme of Iron Flame is going to be relearning history from scratch basically I think it's going to be introduction to the rebellion yeah we'll be learning the truth we got kind of like the good foundation of what everybody believes and now we're Iron Flame is really going to be exploring the truth and speaking of the truth you know I believe that this also means we're going to be getting more of Violet's story too like her her backstory which surprisingly we haven't really gotten a whole lot of we we have a really good sense of her character we have a really good sense of her the current dynamic with her family at least on the outside of things and now we're going to really start seeing the complexities of her family dynamic the much more nuances of that family history that has led to the truth of how it really is today book one has us asking so many questions and book two will answer a lot of them and books beyond will bring in more answers as well and a few more questions you know as just a choice shifts from the focus of our main human characters to more of the dragons. Mm-hmm. And I do think that in regards to like Zayden and Violet's romance, I think that book two is going to be Zayden trying to win Violet back. And like oh, yeah. the like conflicting of emotions of I fucking hate you, but I also fucking love you. And I don't know what to feel right now. I think that that's going to be the major dynamic of them romantically here. I do have a prediction though that I want to make about the ending of book two. I am I, like could be 100% convinced that book two, the cliffhanger, because you know Rebecca, she loves a cliffhanger, is going to end with everyone at Bezgaeth being called into formation. Again, this is only halfway through the school year, being called into formation and basically being like, you are all getting sent to the front lines. And that's how the book is going to end. That's my assumption. Or then their first experience on the front lines too, kind of like how this ending was with the war games. And But I don't know. Yeah. Possibly. Man, if she has another cliffhanger, I don't. You know it's going to be another cliffhanger. There's no way it's not. And then this is us totally just freely speculating here. Book three, I would be surprised if we return to Best Guides to finish out their second year. I I agree. I think that book three and probably honestly onward is going to be deep in rebellion. I mean, Zayden is not necessarily the leader, but he's in leader roles in the rebellion. And I do think that like, you know, Violet being his right hand girl, she is going to be very much a part of that. Also, she wields fucking lightning. She's bonded to Tarn and Undarna, who's fucking huge now. I do think book three is going to be politicking with a capital P. I think that is going to be the politicking book. I know you're so excited. (laughs) I really hope so. Speaking about being really excited, books four and five, I really do believe are going to be focused more on the dragons. I truly have no clue. Like, I, I like, that's where I'm like, I, maybe. I do think like the big 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 battle of like good and evil venom and non-venom I I think that's gonna happen in book five a lot of people think that's gonna be like book four or book three oh I like me yeah you know how in Game of Thrones like in episode three of season eight was like the battle of Winterfell it was this beautiful fucking battle that no one could fucking see because it was super dark and then in episode seven it was like King's Landing that whole battle and it's like someone put it perfectly it was like beating Voldemort in book four and then going on to the Quidditch World Cup in book seven that was season eight was such a disaster I don't know how to reference that. <laughs> 
but that's that's kind of what I think it would be like because if the venom I'm seeing this is like they are the ultimate evil in this book series so that's why I'm saying books four or five I'm leaning towards five but like I could see if if it's in book four and then book five is the like the leadership and the aftermath and like you know all the stuff with that's probably when we'd find out about like Lilith and her total involvement I have no idea I'm truly freely speculating I have no idea but that would be my guess in this moment but I have the right to change my mind (laughs) which brings us to our next question Jessica Lagerquist on TikTok asks do you have any theories about the title of the fourth wing series the Empyrean so many theories Jessica we have so many theories so yes first of all I believe I really and truly believe that this is a promise that the book series isn't so much about Beskyeth but more so about the dragons we didn't learn much about the dragons in book one for a reason I've talked a lot about this before already there's so much mystery around the dragons I really believe that books three through five specifically four and five will lean more heavily on the dragons once when we have the full foundation for I'll call it the human society and so we'll really get into the nuances of the politics of the dragons, the culture, the rules. I bet you anything will even go to the veil. I don't know whose perspective it'll be from. I I think it'll be Violet, but wouldn't that be crazy? I think that we will get a dragon's perspective. How cool would it be if we ended up getting Andarna's perspective at some point, right? So Amy emailed us a fascinating theory that the Empyreans are the ones actually keeping everyone in the dark about the venom, not command. And again, this is just another one of those really fun theories because we don't know much about the dragons their motives, the dynamic between all of them right now. And that was a theory that I honestly hadn't thought of before. And it's like, just wouldn't that be so cool? Anyway, it just, again, it opens up so many questions about the dragon's motives. And I can't wait to learn all about this. I actually didn't even write any notes in this section because I read yours and I just wanted to hit like the repost button because I I agree completely. I We've talked so much on the show about how the dragons are not the pets, the humans are. And I think that is directly reflected in the fact that this is the Empyrean series. I really hope we get more more knowledge on like dragon politics. I think we're pretty much guaranteed to get more info on that. What I'm going to be curious about is who's going to be the leader of the Empyrean because right now it's Coda but someone actually I'm so sorry I don't know the name but someone said that Tarn and Coda might be brothers and how like that they could be fighting it out on either side of the war where Tarn is the leader of the dragons on the rebellion side and Coda is the leader of the dragons on the Navarian side. I could 100% see that happening and I do think they're connected in some way not just because they're both the same breed of dragon but because of their dynamic especially at threshing there's also something kind of like a, a big brotherly sense too. uh yeah. Taryn at one point says he's not the most powerful dragon on the continent professor Carr says something like you have the most powerful dragon at Vizgaeth and then Taryn mumbles but not on the continent and I believe that he is thinking of Coda like he he knows oh he, yeah he's a he's a younger brother in this instance if we were talking about them as brothers there so that's a very younger sibling thing to say I feel like it's like I'm good but I'm not not as good as my older sister damn it <laughs> I don't know when it comes to podcasting I'm pretty sure you're the better okay I've been doing it for five years <laughs> so now moving on to uh lots of questions around Lilla Sorengale and Violet's dad and just again her family dynamic here so whoopity scoop poop <laughs> I want to hear the story behind that username um from reddit 
and Pipsqueak11 had several questions all surrounding Lilith and Violet's dad. So I'm just going to answer all of them and other similar ones here collectively because it would be too complicated to parse them out. Is General Sorengale evil, good, or somewhere in the middle? Oh, what a good question. Following up, you know, did she want Violet to die or did she make the storm during the parapet? Did she feel indifferent or was she trying to protect Violet like some are theorizing by putting her in the writer's quadrant? Nicole? I'm pretty open on this podcast about being very on the fence when it comes to Lilith. However, as we're getting towards the end of the book, specifically Reunification Day, I'm really leaning towards Lilith is good and that she's trying to protect Violet by putting her in the writer's quadrant. I'm firmly in the camp that Violet's dad was killed by command. I don't think he was killed by Lilith, however. I think Lilith found out that her husband discovered this huge secret. Command found out, offed him, and Lilith is desperately trying to make sure her daughter, who she knows is fucking brilliant. We know that from chapter one. She's trying to make sure her daughter doesn't uncover the same mystery just like her dad did and gets offed as well. So I think that she was, this is where my headcanon is right now, is that she's trying to save her by putting her in the writer's quadrant so that she can't put on her Violet Brainiac hat. Now, someone, I I looked it up. I desperately looked it up. I could not find the credit. I'm so sorry. Said that the storm was actually sent by Lilith, but to calm her down. Because in that section, Violet's inner monologue is like, the storm opens up and my I, I feel myself calming down. It's something along those lines. And since also Violet mentions that Violet's dad, as Violet's like remembering things that he said, he said that Violet was always the best of her father and her mother. So I do think that her mother, meaning here, like her bravery, her willing to see what's good and fight for it. But I do think she's going to be a very morally great character. I don't think she's good. Look at Zayden's back. We know she's not good. But I do think her intentions in the long run are going to be very Snape, Snape-esque. Well, and, and here's another theory that I've seen floating around too. She meaning Lilith could have also known about the looming dangers with the increased venom attacks and the wards faltering, and she wants her daughter to have the best chance at survival, so that's why she goes and puts her in the writer's quadrant so that her daughter Violet will bond with the dragon and have better protection and better training to face what Lilith knows is coming. Of course, there's also the big theory that she could be a full-blown double agent, and she's secretly working with the Rebellion, making sure that they have the supplies that they need to get it to the Griffin Riders, that she knows that Brynn is alive. My guess is that she's less Snape and less of like that full-blown double agent and more so of a Dumbledore who's you know like playing chess while everyone else plays checkers that's that's (laughs) that's how I could describe her I could see that I do think that no matter what I think she's working alone I personally do not think she's working with the rebellion in a direct way I don't think she knows that Brennan is alive the reason I lean towards Snape is because Snape like he's such a tragic character because he is so alone I mean no matter what side he's on everyone fucking hates him and I do think that's going to be very similar with Lilith where she is very lonely I do think she's gonna be a very tragic character in the series I don't know if I agree with that, but not oh, not in a bad way, but just a like I like after what she's done to Zayden, I don't see her being so much a tragic character as but she definitely will be a very complicated one who is morally gray, who who I think too is essentially working alone, has her own secret agenda here. We, we of course have to talk about the very popular theory too, that she is one of the big bad guys pulling the strings. And yeah. there are plenty of supporting points to this as well on our fourth wing survey that you can also take in our uh, show 
notes here, I think a quarter of the people or even more than that, they think that she is full blown bad guy while a quarter of the people think that she's full blown agent. And then about half of the people think that she's, she's kind of somewhere in the middle there. But you know, the, the supporting points that she is one of the big bad guys is that we know that there's far more to her and Zayden's history than Violet currently knows. Yes. She opposed that the children of the rebellion leaders shouldn't be forced to watch their parents executions, but I think it's safe to assume that she is personally responsible for Zayden's 107 scars and more. Like we've talked a lot about that, that we that's just scratching the surface. I really do believe that. It's also highly possible that she is the one who poisoned her husband and had him killed because he was the one who was too close to the truth. And then she sent Violet to the writer's quadrant anticipating that she would die. You know, the deadly storm during the parapet, it would fit in perfectly with this theory that she was trying to get her daughter off before she even could start. Amber in a in an email summarized it really well. She, meaning Lilith, cares more for her country than her family. We have to bring up that theory. I again like Unicole, I'm not in one camp strongly one way or the other. Like yeah. there's there's so many possibilities. But I do also believe, like I said earlier, that she is ultimately working on her own. But mm-hmm. Agreed. Another question revolving around Violet's family is is Violet's dad really dead or is he alive? I am firmly in the camp that he is dead. We had one surprise like, oh, he's not dead. Like, congratulations. Here you go. Moment with Brennan. And I think two would be a little bit like, okay, like (laughs) we already got that Band-Aid pulled off, you know, plus like the mysteries that he left with, you know, Feather Tales with the note in the Fables of the Baron, like it's all just too delicious. And if he was alive, I just feel like that dramatic tension would be lost. Absolutely. Like I'm just nodding my head along. Like I absolutely agree with you. Violet, she was so close with her dad and we can assume that they spent a lot of time together in his final days. But I will say this, I love Pipsqueak 11 theory that Lilith felt he was getting too close to the truth and had Brennan give her something to poison him enough to look dead so Lilith could sneak him out into the rebellion area. I I find that very fun, but I do highly suspect Lilith was either behind his deteriorating health slash death or knew the reason why and then tried to protect Violet. I really do think and I will say hope that he is dead. So we've danced around this a little bit. Let's address the next question. Was Violet's dad part of the rebellion? I'm going to do such a half-ass answer and say maybe, but I think he could have been working as a scribe but on the outside, and I could see like the argument for him like leaking info out. However, I really love the idea of him just like uncovering these mysteries on his own, like almost like a little researcher in his lab in the, in the archives and just like, oh my gosh, this, 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 that, and the other. And he maybe was like just about to go over to the rebel side, you know, like in when Violet discovers his note in the Fables of the Baron when she's with Satan in a room, she says like he got really cryptic in the last few years after Brennan died that to me is just like cementing like he was killed he knew some shit that leadership did not like but I do think that he was just about to go over to the rebel side I don't think he knew Brennan was alive personally maybe I don't I, I'm leaning I, towards no though the main reason I don't think he was part of the, the rebellion is this is because there's a lot of wink wink hint hint moments from the marked ones that they know Brennan you know Liam almost literally verbally spews it out at the reunification party. But there's nothing that says any of them would know her dad. I absolutely agree with that. So we can wonder if he shared his findings with Brennan and that's a contributing factor to Brennan's switch, like the timing of his research and Brennan's death, seeming death, 
definitely a line and then his health deteriorating after Brennan. Like there's there's too many timeline consequences here for it to actually be a consequence. So very similar to you, Nicole, I'm leaning towards her dad wasn't necessarily on one side or the other. He was ultimately on the side of knowledge and truth. And that's what his focus was. You know, would uncovering the truth eventually send him to the rebellion side? Possibly, probably. But I also wonder if he knew or at least suspected the existence of Venom because of everything he taught Violet growing up, including the Fables book, and to remember who's writing the history. He made that very clear to her as she was growing up about pay attention to who is writing history. I think that he definitely knew a lot. However, does that mean that he was just firmly on the rebellion side? Not necessarily. I think that that's different from just knowing and believing in knowledge and truth. Well, and I love that so much more because then it's not like if they're good, they're on the rebellion side if they're bad they're on the Navarian side like I love it when it's so in the middle so morally gray I think that that's going to be a very common theme with a lot of people in this book I absolutely agree see Zayden Ryerson (laughs) yeah right or or I think Mira might be another character who's really teetering back and forth with that too okay rounding this out here what do we think that Violet's dad's relationship was with their mom I really do think they were in love I it was stated in chapter one I don't think that would have been there if it weren't true I don't know. What are your thoughts? The fact that they were in love makes, assuming that they were indeed in love, it makes Lilith's character all the more complicated and layered. And to me, that's that's really a better storytelling tactic than just making her the big bad guy who killed her husband, you know, and who's a big villain here. Like, I, I, I hope I don't eat my words here. Like, we'll love whatever you do with Lilith's character, Rebecca. I do believe that it's just better storytelling to make it complicated, to make her have been indeed in love with her husband there. So similarly, is Lilith our Dumbledore while Colonel H Stain's dad is actually our Snape character. First of all, I love these questions that we're getting that are so referencing Hogwarts. Like you guys, know I know us they so know well. us, <laughs> and these questions are still going through whoopity scoop poop and, and pip squeak here. So we're 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 still crediting them with these questions. So is Lilith our Dumbledore while Colonel Ados is actually our Snape character? I would be absolutely shocked, and not in a good way, if Dane's dad was secretly on the good side. Again, this goes back to the storytelling here. The way that Dane drinks the Kool Aid, it can only come from a lifetime of hearing how Navarre are the good guys. That is how he and Violet grew up at their family tables talking about how good Navarre is, right? Like, obviously, like that's, that's obvious. I think that this is very much a like father, like son situation. And Dane's dad, you know, he is a nice guy on the outside. We've talked about that. But he didn't get to his position of power by being the dad next door. I think that the exact same thing could be said for Dane as he's rising within the quadrant ranks too. I I agree completely. I I really don't think that Dane's dad is going to be good. There was such like beautiful irony in the fact that when we meet him in fourth wing, he's like, yeah, like nice flight lines, Violet. Gotta, gotta, gotta. You know, like he's very dad. And then he like does this like 180 for us as a reader and sends Zayden and his crew to their death. I think it's what makes Lilith's possible goodness even more dangerous for her if Colonel Ato, someone she works with very directly is so now I'm, I'm not gonna say pure maybe I will say more pure evil like I don't think that she is working with him in any way I think they very much have their own agendas and I do think the more and more I ponder it if you will I do think that Colonel Atos is going to be one of the big bad characters of this book do I think he's gonna be the new vice commandant I'm not sure I said in the bonus episode that I wouldn't like him to be the new vice commandant 
not because I want a new character. I'm more 50-50 on it now. Would I be mad? Probably not because I do think that he's going to be a really interesting villain. But I think that there's no possible way he can be a good guy. I agree. Yeah. So now let's move on to uh, Andarna and Tarn and dragons as a whole. Lots and lots of questions here. So Nicole emailed us asking, do you think Andarna will bond with her mate and that dragon's rider will subsequently be linked to Violet as well? Nicole goes on to say, I keep having a reoccurring nightmare that it'll be Kath. So thankfully, I don't think that's likely. But imagine the drama. Hashtag God fucking damn it, Dane. Yes. So I definitely don't think it's going to be Kath. I I could see another dragon rider tie into this as a possibility. You know, like if Indarna bonds with a mate, then Violet will have an open pathway to talk to another person. I could see that drama being delicious, but I don't think it's likely. Taryn and Seagal's bond is so deep and so rare. Mates are very rare in this world when it comes to dragons. And that is one of the reasons I don't see Indarna finding one. I also just think that Indarna is such an entity on her own. I do think that her and Violet are going to have a very deep connection in the future books. Like, you know, you've talked about that on the show, Lex. I'm 100% in the same camp as you. Plus, like, She's just so spunky. She's, you know, very much that teenager energy. She's very toothless from How to Train Your Dragon. I really don't see her having a love interest. I see her her love, her relationship interest in this book actually being Violet. Not in a smooch mooch way, but in a this is deep, deep friendship. That's yep. how I see it. Gosh, I don't know if we've ever agreed so much with each I other. I know. This is so exciting. Episode. <laughs> this is another reason why I really do see Andarna and Violet just being so extra close. You know, Taryn has Sigale, and but Andarna and Violet, they are have their very own special emotional connection. Like, yes, Violet has Zayden. She has major trust issues with him right now. So I think book two will also be really important and essential for Andarna and Violet's bond to, yeah. to really grow and strengthen and deepen. Continuing on with our conversation about Andarna, we got asked this question several times so I'm so sorry I don't have the, the credit right here in front of me I'm sorry why did Andarna grow so much in three days at the end Woo-hoo. why indeed so I know that there's a lot of theories going around about how Andarna grew so fast one of the biggest ones that we've received is that Andarna stopped time to help her grow so much in such a short period of time I mean three days have gone by and she's quote fucking huge now I personally do not see this happening because we see what happens in fourth wing when she stops time for a couple of seconds there's no way she'd be able to stop time for a year plus without absolutely destroying herself. So I do think two things instead. I think one, she either used so much of her power and that somehow helped her grow faster by just like outpouring over and over and over again. Or two, this is kind of actually and or two, they're right now near the crystallized gems being in Arisha. I think the proximity of that magic might have helped her grow way faster exactly so also like i just want to point out the fact that it's zayden who says andarna is quote-unquote fucking huge when he's directly and indirectly bonded to two of the largest dragons that must mean that andarna is like Terran size, right? Like Zayden has a different subjective idea of what a huge dragon is because he's around huge dragons all the time and he is categorizing Andarna as this. So he, in my opinion, he is putting her at the same degree of hugeness as like Terran and, and Sigail. So I'm really interested to see how that works. Did her ancestry have anything to do with her fast growth? I'm going to guess not. Are you saying that Andarna is royal, Lex? I absolutely think she is, but I don't think that that's necessarily 
ties into this here. I really do agree with the idea that she's used her time, like the, the, her power, and it has consequences. And it's almost mm-hmm. like because time stopped, now it is speeding up so fast. I think that that's kind of the more, I'll say, comparable theory to the time traveling theory. And le- like, let's also remember that in October, and Darna was two years old, and she would be fully grown within a few years. And now when they're in Arisha, it's something like June. So it's been about nine months, almost a whole year. And, and there is no commentary throughout the book of her size. The fact that she could keep up more with flying might allude to her growing and getting stronger, but it's never outright stated. Um, it's even said that she's the size of a griffin with, uh, at the very end of the book, which griffins are about the third of the size of a regular size dragon. I don't know what Andarna was you know, prior to that to compare how much she had grown, but that is a size distinction we have there. No matter what, Andarna should be coming close to getting full grown or at least growing, like she's a teenager kind of growing. Was for some reason she not growing at Beskayeth? Like when she went to Arisha, did it somehow magically all catch up with her? Could this possibly be in reference to her first home where it's like not actually the veil and when she gets close to her first home, like she grows? I I have no idea. I'm just spitballing here. Photo book GK on Instagram said, how do you think Violet is going to explain Andarna getting bigger when she heads back to Bezgayeth in Iron Flame, especially since there's only a handful of people who know she's a baby? This was such a good question and I had not thought about this in the slightest. Really? Oh my gosh. I literally stay awake at night thinking about this. (laughs) And even with that, like, my honest answer is I have no fucking clue. Like, I don't. Like, I I am stumped on this one because that is not an answer that I want to accept for myself here. Like, let's just, let's spitball here again. And Darna wasn't around much in the early days of her and Violet's bond, you know, before she started learning to keep up and getting her part there with the saddle. It wasn't really a big deal that she wasn't around to anybody else, you know. So it was okay and and I'll say acceptable that she could stay hidden and she just, like, not making an appearance. It wasn't raising any suspicion. So maybe now that she's big and the dangers of being a baby are gone, it's not so much of a concern. Could she stay hidden? I don't think so. I think that she has to go to Pescaeth at some point, which again, you know, now that maybe because she's now big and the dangers of being a baby are gone, it's not such a concern to protect that hatchling secret. As far as we know, no one else knows about the time stopping, which is gone now that she's grown. So again, like that same concern and reason for keeping the secret isn't there in the same way now that she is grown. They're not afraid of leadership learning and finding out about the powers. So I don't know how they'd explain that, but it might just be a, well, it doesn't matter so much anymore. So we can just keep moving on with the story. True. I could see something around the lines of like, she might just be chilling also back at Arisha while Taryn and Violet go back to Bezgaeth. Personally, I'm not really leaning towards this. One, it would weaken her bond with Indarna. And we've talked about how we do think Indarna and her are going to have a stronger bond than her and Taryn. And if she does go back for a third year, which I personally don't think she will be, but if she does, there's no way she can avoid Indarna for two years. And I would also be just generally sad if we didn't get way more Indarna. And also I think of the two dragons that would stay back in Orisha, it would make sense for Taren. I do wonder if Taren is going to be flying back and forth between Sigale and Violet, especially if, if Violet is fucking pissed at Zayden, if she's just going to send Taren and go back and forth because she also has Indarna. So she can now practice flying and flight maneuvers and stuff with Indarna. 
I, I don't see that happening because then we'd miss out on all the delicious drama between her and Zayden. But who knows? I'm I'm truly stumped on this question. I have no fucking clue. And just a, another thing to point out is that nobody in the book seems concerned with it either. Like no one in the book. Why is no one in the book worried about this? Sigail during their family meeting when we got the big dragon info dump, like she did not mention this looming issue. Taryn at no point has mentioned it. Violet, like when she's been thinking about her father's feather tail research, like there's been so many opportunities for there to be a narrative concern or, or even thought towards, oh my gosh, what's going to happen once when she does get bigger? And the fact that no none of them have even thought about it makes me wonder if, again, it's not going to be a big deal once when she has grown up. So following up with that, Tori Grovas on Instagram asks, what do you think would happen to Violet if Tarn died? Would her bond with Indarna change anything slash save her? I hate this question and nothing against you, Tori Grovas. It's truly just that I I will cry so hard if either dragons die. However, that being said, I really see that happening. I see that being like, you know, the whole thing of this book is a dragon without a rider is a tragedy. A rider without a dragon is dead. What if a dragon dies and a rider lives? Like, what if that happens? I think that might be one of the big like, moments of the book. Yep, I I think it will definitely be one of the big shockers of the series. Like everything we know points to if your dragon dies, the rider dies. And like Nicole said, Violet is different. And so I don't think that if one of her dragons dies, she's going to die. Her life is still tethered to another. I do believe it could greatly weaken her like Taryn was weakened after Nail and died. But I don't think she would die like what happened to Liam, right? I think that Liam's death was major foreshadowing to set us up for a big plot twist. You know, Violet lives when one of her dragons dies when we've seen what should happen very early on in the series and I do think that the dragon a dragon dying whether it's Tarn or Indarna I do think it would be Tarn of the two because oh my no oh my god it just hit me what if because if Tarn dies and Sigil dies and Zayden dies and that's like how Zayden I hate that I just thought of that I'm gonna weep into this microphone I can't think about that too much I do think that if this does happen I'm like crying Jesus I think this is where her second signet is gonna come into play do we have a question about that I don't remember we writing an do answer not have a question about Violet signet I think that is one thing that we were not asked <laughs> I don't, I personally do not see Violet's second signet being resurrection. There's a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that it is the resurrection video on TikTok that went mega, mega viral that you guys are awesome and tagged us in has a lot of points to it. And if that is how Zayden is brought back, would I complain? Absolutely not. No, sir, I would not. But if this does happen where one of her dragons dies, again, thinking it will most likely be Taryn, I do see that being a book four or five thing. So I don't think we're going to have to deal with that major heartbreak for a while. <laughs> Let's talk about something that did already happen here and ask a clarifying question. Eldred.Laura on Instagram asked, I want to know how Taryn knew Violet was being attacked while she was sleeping in her room. That's a good question. So I think that Taryn, you know, Taryn knows about Violet's goings on while she's awake. So my guess is that it's just he's easily able to tell when she's also unconscious. I also see this being really handy for warriors in battle. If they're in the middle of a fight and a dragon's able to be like on your left, you know, that's really handy dandy in my opinion this is also a really cool world building tool so 
brava Rebecca uh, for many things but that definitely I also wonder if it's a reflection on the strength of Taryn and Violet's bond like even this early on in their relationship you know we get a few hints that others and their dragons don't have the kind of bond where they're always talking to one another like Taryn and Violet are so I wonder if it's because Taryn is so powerful he has a stronger sense of when it comes to Violet and their surroundings like just just wanted to throw that possibility out there too totally I think that's highly like likely carolina girl 117 on reddit asks do the dragons know what power their writer will have they have the power to withhold a gift until their writer is ready so how much do they know so because the signet manifests based on a person's unique chemistry and the dragon's powers there is no way of knowing what their signet will be even for a dragon to know so my guess is that the dragon can at least anticipate the level of power that the signet will have or even the the rarity based on just the power power and strength of the dragon, but not necessarily what the signet is going to be. I mean, for example, when Violet wields lightning for the first time, Taryn is like number one hype girl and is like, lightning wielder. Like he's excited, but he also does seem surprised. I wonder if he is surprised because I wouldn't be surprised if he also got the feel from it like like Zayden did during their first kiss. Like I wonder oh. if he sensed that crackle and this was like the confirming, well, yes, huzzah, yeah, right? <laughs> Yet another thing that fucking Taryn held from Violet. I'm at the point of the book right now where I'm just mad at him. I'm a little mad at him. Britt underscore Bolt22 asked one of the biggest questions of the book. Were any of the parents of the Rebellion kids writers? And if so, what happened to their dragons? What happened indeed to the Rebellion leaders' dragons? My guess is that like when any writer dies, they mourn their writers for a while. They flew around singing their sad dragon songs and then they eventually decided to or will decide to it's not been a super long time since they were murdered rebond however fewer and fewer dragons are choosing to bond so these could be some of the dragons of the rebellion parents and they're fucking pissed and so they don't want to go back and bond with people at Bazgayath. And, and there were what 68 of them so that's not a, that, that's almost a, that's almost like a full year of first years almost that's like two-thirds of a class right there so yeah. that's a pretty good amount of dragons there there are so many questions around this like how would it work with the dragons all together again at the veil for instance this is again going right back to what is the dragon political dilemma here? What like are some of the dragons on the Navarian side? Are some of them on Pormiel's side or on the just their own rebellion side? I, I don't know. Like there's so many nuances that we just don't know yet. And I think that this plays into it a, a lot. Did the dragons fight against each other in the rebellion six years ago? How does that work with the dragons? Like they have such a strong willpower and they don't just blindly follow their writers to go up against dragons that they know. What if the dragon disagrees with their writer on whichever side that they're on? Like what if the dragon and their bonded writer are on different sides? Like I don't know how that would even be possible. So anyway, I'm going down a total question rabbit hole here but I'm going to keep going. Did these dragons just say like peace out and not go back to the Vale when their writers died and they went and stayed at the headquarters in Arisha? Is it possible to bond with someone without going through the full process at Biscayeth? Are these dragons bonding with other people elsewhere outside of Biscayeth with the revolution? I just think that all of these questions all and their subsequent answers, whatever they may be, it all hints to a bigger picture with the dragons and the current unrest. Again, there's that Empyrean promise with the name of the series. What I personally think is that that what Nicole said, that they are unwilling to bond, and that is one of the contributing factors 
to that. Or maybe the other dragons aren't letting them bond right now because they don't trust their judgment. Or maybe we'll learn that some of these dragons who are bonding new people, they were part of the rebellion. Maybe like some of our side characters, like Riddick or Rhiannon's dragons, they like, again, totally, I don't know, but it's fun to think about. You're blowing my mind right now, Lexi. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Oh my God. Oh, so many questions. Okay. Second signets with marked ones. So Neen underscore Erin, N-Y-N underscore Erin, asked on Reddit, Liam's signet is farsight, but in the fight against the venom, Violet sees him wielding spears of ice. What are your thoughts on this? Let me tell you, Nian, I got a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> I have so fucking many thoughts on this. So the meaning of his dragon's name, Day, is ice. Ahem. <clears throat> It's ice. <laughs> like, is it part of the second signet rumor? Did Rebecca make a mistake? Absolutely not. She didn't. She <laughs> never makes mistakes like this. No, this is so on purpose and it's supposed to make us go crazy. <laughs> it's just like in one small little half a sentence, it is hinting more about the marked ones that we don't know yet. And so I'm just going to read the this line here because we've had a lot of people comment a lot of confusion about this. So we're just going to take it straight from the text. On my ebook, it starts at page 589. I have no idea what that is on the physical book. Quote, Taryn puts us into position, hovering about 20 feet above ground as Liam flies for the griffins above above us wielding spears of ice into the injured wyvern's throat so this this is 100 percent rebecca saying neon sign like not not even neon sign because it's so fucking subtle but saying there's something fishy here i've read this book four or five times in the last two months and i never caught this until or until you mentioned something about it lex and i saw it on uh, a social media post like but this is rebecca saying there's something fishy here we need to keep an eye out for this. But she did it in the most genius way of dropping it in like a half a sentence that no one fucking caught. There's definitely more to the marked one's power than we know. And it's got, I, like, I believe that it's absolutely got to do with the rebellion relic that Coda gave to them. Does General Melgan's dragon know what he did? We don't know yet. You know, that again, it seems silly that he wouldn't know what he did because it's channeling, you know, like the, the way that dragon magic works, it would be channeling from that relic. But I also just, do not get good guy vibes from Coda. I don't feel like this is something that he would have done on purpose just to stick it to the man because he is part of the man, right? Do you think he's like in the background just being like, shit, fuck. Oh my God, <laughs> shit, fuck. Like, how do I tell Melgren shit? Fuck, like The guy who sent the wrong email to everybody at the company. <laughs> But so like this poses just the bigger question that everybody is asking. Does this line that we hear about Liam being able to wield two different signets mean that all marked ones can wield two signets? Yes. Yes, it does. (laughs) Well, so for instance, you know, we know that Imogen can wipe memories and she's super fast. Wait, really quick question. I thought fast and speed were lesser magics. They so they are, and we we talked about this even when I don't know if it was exactly when this came up, but we were even agreeing that it would be kind of lame if that was her second sig. Like I don't consider speed if it is going to be your like signet, you got to be like the flash kind of speed. But I don't think she is because it's paired that she is at the same category of speediness as Zayden and Garrick. So what I think is that it's actually they have their primary signet. So for Liam, it would be Farsight. For Imogen, it would be Wiping Memories, etc. And then they either have like amplified lesser magic, which would be like being fast or whatnot, 
or low-key second signet. For instance, Liam, being able to wield ice, ice is considered a fairly common signet. Maybe it's that they can wield a second signet, but it's just a more common, I'll say lesser of the second signets. No offense to you, Riddick, my man. But, but so so any that there's again lots of questions around that. Um, and that's my personal take. So do you think that Zayden's second signet is speed? No. I don't think that that would be a second signet. I think that the speed is a lesser magic, but that also doesn't explain what happened with Liam, unless it's either amplified lesser magic and slash or being able to wield a more common second signet that's like your, again, like your secondary signet to to complement your primary. I do wonder in regards to Imogen, because it's stated, I know at least twice in the book about her speed. Once it's connected to Zayden, And it's like, like Zayden, she's really fast or something along those lines. But then the other time, it's just like flat out, she's really fast. Golly, I don't know. I I definitely don't think if they have two signets, I definitely do not think Zayden's second signet is speed because like he's our main dude. He's not going to have a same second signet as two other people in the story. There's no fucking way. But again, that goes back to it was comparing her speed to Zayden's speed. What I think it is, is it's more of Imogen amplifying her speed and kind of almost calling it that her signet so that it can divert attention from her mind wiping signet. Because we've t- I've talked a lot about that in the last few episodes too with Imogen has a mind wiping signet. Like that should not be allowed. <laughs> Especially because we don't think that it in- includes touch. So what if leadership doesn't know that that's her signet and instead she really leans on her signet being speed? What if her second signet is being able to amplify lesser magic, which is why she's doing it so much with Zayden and Gary? Well, and then, of course, then there's the crystallized gems that maybe the marked ones have access to, and maybe that's why they can amplify their their lesser magic, and it actually doesn't have anything to do with the Rebellion Relic. If we don't get this answer in Iron Flame, I'm going to... I'm going to like just flip a table. I don't know how else. I'm tired of theorizing about this and I want the goddamn answer. (laughs) Same. I think that there's going to be some big major secret coming out of the woodwork. Minimum one. I think we're going to have multiple in Iron Flame and I could throw up thinking about it. I'm so fucking ready. Let's move on to Dane theorizing here we go god fucking damn it dane god fucking damn it dane we have to have it once an episode mpmp asks how will dane react to his dad working to take out violet the woman he loves could this finally crack him into seeing sense is this the root of rebecca's sympathy for him lexi's shaking her head no (laughs) also we don't know what dane's dad's signet is true i mean we did already kind of get a big download of how he reacted to his dad doing this and also I don't think it was his dad leading the charge here I think his dad and Dane kind of worked together about this Athbane situation but literally might I remind us all of I'll miss you Violet and that was fucking everything he was like my best friend of my entire life I'll miss you peace out god I hate him so much (laughs) after he spent an entire fucking book to keep her safe him just being like, uh, you choose him. I'm not the guy you choose. That hurts my ego. This is such a fucking guy move. Such a dickwad guy move. I truly do not understand his logic here. He's trying to keep her safe this entire book. And then he says four words to her and then peace out, Squirrel Scout. I think it makes absolute sense it, because it's not just him saying those words. It is exactly what happened before that. It is Violet choosing Zayden. And it's not just choosing him like to be in bed with. She's choosing size. There is no black and white when it comes to choosing Zayden. And she knows that. She has known that there have been multiple instances before this 
where she knows that and she's trying to kind of figure it out internally. And this is where she makes that decision. She she plants her feet in the sand and says, I am with him. And Dane, that's a slap in the face to Dane. I don't, I'm not sympathizing with the guy for what he does, but that is, that would be a big slap in the face. I mean, it, she should have absolutely seen it coming, but I think that's where it just kind of snaps for him. And it's like, all right, well, there's no turning back here and this is what's going to happen. And if you side with him, then you're part of the problem too. To answer Empy Empy's question, could this finally crack him into seeing sense? I do not think so. However, there is this big moment for Dane in Montserrat where he finally starts to realize that he's not being told everything. So I don't think that's a crack for him to finally see sense. I think it's like a teeny tiny little seed little little it's seed. A little seed it's a little seed that we just need to you know water and grow bitch grow to quote Lexi <laughs> from the podcast I do wonder however if Violet is going to try to convince him to see reason like in I don't really think it's going to happen in Iron Flame because like I've mentioned I do think he's going to get worse before he gets quote unquote better I do think she's going to be pissed at him in Iron Flame eventually could I see her trying desperately to make him see reason possibly yeah, I don't see Violet trying to help him see the light anytime soon. Like she, their relationship's already broken. Like she knows it, the reader knows it, Dane knows it, everybody knows it. And so I think she's going to come in really pissed off. Now, whether she's outwardly pissed off at him, that's one of the big questions about going into Iron Flame. Is she going to kind of play play dumb, for instance? I don't know yet. Oh God, I don't know either. <laughs> but to, to address a, a second part of the question, which is, Rebecca Yaros's sympathy towards Dane. I personally think that her sympathy and a, a small sliver of my heart, the smallest like half of 1% sliver of my heart has a little bit of sympathy for him in this way that he has been so brainwashed. He is like so convinced and he is the product of what people have made him to be. Now, does that excuse him? No, do not get me wrong. I hate Dane. I literally quote god fucking damn it Dane every fucking episode but I do think that's the root of Rebecca's sympathy for him is in the fact that he's brainwashed and he was originally trying to save Violet even if he did it for all the wrong reasons that we can all feel we know that Dane knows more than Violet does about Zayden so there could be something with Zayden's secrets there that will show Dane really was trying to keep Violet safe from him I do believe that in his own perspective that is what he was trying to do and so Rebecca Yaros like might just be sympathizing for for his character who was trying to do the right thing but the right thing was 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 what we as readers and Violet is what's cute. It was not the right thing for her. It was not what she needed here. I'm, I'm grasping at straws here trying to sympathize for the guy right now. I also have to say this. I honestly don't think Rebecca expected for an entire very passionate fandom to rise up against this one character in book one. She, she's the only one who knows what's going to happen. So for her to be like, whoa, whoa, like I can totally be like, well, that uh, snowballed really quickly. And it's like, oh, crap. They're going to hate me, huh? <laughs> but th and that's why I say, like, I do think that I do think that he's going to get a redemption arc. We, we're going to talk about this later. But I think that it's going to be the redemption arc of the fucking century. Someone related it to Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender level of yeah. redemption arc. And I'm like, I would be so here for that. If it's like that, chef's kiss. <laughs> and then the last part of this question is Dane's dad's signet. I have no idea, but something deep in my gut, especially, you know, I, I do believe he's going to be a big bad character. I think it's going to be horrific. I have something, I, I feel like it's going to be something with like interrogation. I mean, Dane's going to be used in interrogation for like, you know, figuring all that kind of stuff out. But I could see his dad being like, I mean, we've talked about torture on the podcast. Like, I don't know if it'll be that, but I do think it's going to be something to match interrogation because I could see Dane and his dad interrogating 
one of our characters at some point. Like I said, like father, like son. On that same note, I could see his signet being something similar to Dane's, especially, you know, related to information and knowledge. Think about it. Dane's dad, he's the general's right hand. He got to that specific position of power somehow. And I really do think that it goes back to knowledge, just like how Dane is rising up in the ranks in the quadrant. It's because of what he's capable of. It's because of the knowledge that he is able to extract and possess. I think he is definitely one of the interrogators now that you say that. (laughs) I just feel like it's going to come out in a moment of like, oh, oh, like, you know, when you read a book and it's like, oh my, I, what? Like, it's like horrific. I feel like it's going to be that level of horror. Well, and then John from email, he asked, so what do you think Violet's mom's reaction will be once when she realizes that Dane's dad set Violet and Zayden up? I'm going to come at this from a, I do believe Lilith is that morally gray character and is trying to protect her daughter. I think she's going to feign indifference. Like, I don't think she's going to really, I I mean, see her backstory and see her resume of being a good mom right now. Like, I don't think anything's going to happen. I think she's going to have a very brutally cold attitude towards her, especially if she's, if she's playing on the side of, I need to be general Sorengale. I could see her being even terrible to Violet. Like she knows what happened I don't think her mom's reaction is going to play a big role whatsoever. I know that might sound weird, but I just don't think that that's going to, because there is just going to be an assumed indifference there. And I don't think that it's going to be this big reveal either that it's like, oh my God, everybody, guess what Dane's dad did, right? Like, I don't think, I think it is going to be very swept under the rug and our characters are going to have to move on from it or at least be perceived like they've moved on from it pretty quickly. Just to move yes. the story along. Yeah. I don't think we're going to get a whole lot of Lilith in Iron Flame. I think oh. her big flushing out of her characters are going to be in the back half of the series. See, like what I was saying at the top of this episode, I think that we're going to get a lot more of Violet's family dynamic, including Lilith. And maybe not like her her whole story, but at least a little bit more of her. I think it's going to be trickled. Yeah. We're going to get some tricklings, but I think it's going to be more about Brennan and her dad next book more than Lilith. Yes. Yes. So it'll be more about the other characters of the family. And then, of course, that'll come right back to Lilith. So we'll be able to make some good perception. Yeah. She'll be the missing puzzle piece. Case Maryland asks, one of the big questions, and we've already been referencing it quite a bit at this podcast, do you think Dane is going to get a redemption arc? And to piggyback off of that, a few others are asking if there's going to be a love triangle with him. I definitely do not think there's going to be a love triangle with him. I don't see Violet ever having fe- like she already didn't have feelings for him. I don't think anything could convince her to have any kind of romantic feelings towards Dane going forward. However, I do think that there is definitely going to be a redemption arc for Dane. I've mentioned this several times in the episode. I don't think he's coming out of this world alive. I do think he's going to die in this series. I think that that's going to be like his big final moments of some like big old sacrifice. But I see that happening in like book three or four. I don't think it's going to be the the final moment of the series, but I could see him dying in three or four after having a big redemption arc, which is what's making me think it's going to be leaning more towards four because I think we'll need especially given how passionate this fandom is about hating him. I think we're going to need a while of a redemption arc to really draw it out and make it worthwhile. I don't know if that's the right word, but I do trust Rebecca to handle this in a very well done way. I really do trust her. I agree with you. And and like, so, you know, like when we think about redemption arcs, I think about two in particular here. One is that 
I'm not going to actually call it a redemption arc. It's it's called the Gollum effect, where he didn't necessarily get a redemption arc, but his character was still needed for that final moment. He needed to die in a very meaningful way, and I could see that happening with Dane, and then that could essentially be his redemption arc, even if he emotionally didn't redeem himself, but like just the way that everything falls into place in those final moments. That's how it works. I will say I really hope his redemption arc it is not as painful and drawn out as Theon's redemption arc from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Oof, that was a tough one. I, I hope it's not like that. <laughs> if he just kicks someone in the balls and that's like his redemption arc, I'm going to throw a book off a cliff. I don't think that's going to happen. All right. And then Jasmine430 asks, is Dane really reading Violet when he touches her face? Dane said that he has to touch people's temples when he first told her. And when he's cupping her jaw it's not touching her temples to read her yes he definitely is reading her memories and I we got this question so many times and we get this a lot in our comment section whenever we post a video about us talking about Dane they're like well he's not touching her temples I want everyone to take your hand just take your hand and put it on the side of your face like cupping it your fingers are touching your temples like, I mean, I have big hands, like monster hands. But I don't. I have tiny hands. So you look, do. Mine can still How touch are it. we related? Like, if I'm <laughs> laying here, and especially if I'm cupping my face with both hands, which this feels so weird. <laughs> it's like squishing my face forward. My temples are being touched. So I do believe every time he cups her face, at least 99% of the time, I think there was one time in our God fucking damn it Dane section where I was like, I don't know if he is, but every other time we could basically guesstimate what he was reading. He's reading her memories. And that is such a very deliberate word. And it's used over and over and over again. Cups my face. Dane reaches out to cut my face, to cups my face over and over again. And interestingly, when Zayden does a similar motion, it's called cradles her face or cradles. It is different language. Now he still does, he cups her in other ways. Hey. <laughs> so parts of her body and when, but again it's that deliberate I, I really do think it's that deliberate use of cups her face and every time that is said it is a 99% possibility that he is reading her memories. To follow up on that, you know, I really am positive that he has to touch the person's temples to read their memories. There's a lot of speculation, and we definitely talked about it in the first episode when we were going through this scene when he was first sharing this information with Violet that he's either lying, that he doesn't have to touch their temples, that he can just either touch their skin, or that his signet is adapting and continuing to manifest and grow more powerful to where he won't have to touch them whatsoever. On the note of him not having to touch them whatsoever, or even just touch them anywhere on their skin, I really think that even as powerful as his dad is, uh, as fast as he's moving up in the ranks, he would be a serious security risk if it was not just being able to, to have to touch their temples. Like, And he is somebody who follows the rules too much and he is too tight with leadership to be able to hide something like that. And also just based on our, our discussion here moments ago about you know having to cup her face, etc., it's very deliberate with cupping her face. Again, we keep reiterating that. And I think that that is Rebecca saying, yeah, he does actually they have to touch their temple. It is that promise that we can take that at least from Dane at face value. Well, and every time he does cut her face, they're either just having finished up a conversation or actively talking about Zayden. And it's not when he's just like grabbing her like shoulders or stuff like that. Like it's when he's cupping her face. I am also leaning towards he has to be touching the temples. I could not see a world where he would be able to live just like walking around being able to access people's memories with just like a, a little finger tap, you know? I think it would have to be something like that. And to that point too, I think that it doesn't extend to the mat either. But I will say, I do think that Zayden's crew is very, very aware not oh, to yeah. get too close to Dane because who knows what kind of instance Dane could come up with that. But I, for 
for instance, I don't think that Dane is getting secret info from the Sparked Ones whenever he goes up on the mat with them. He does say recent memories. He does say he's just learning how to get adept at his signet. I do think like him strengthening his signet is him going further and further back in memories. Towards the end of the book, like he he touches Violet's face and learns about Athbeen a month and a half after they've had the conversation about Athbeen. So I think that his strengthening is going further and further back. Yep. And possibly figuring out which memories too. There's a lot of questions about how is he able to do that? <laughs> his Google search? Like I, I really do think that, it, that that's a good analogy where it's like he, yeah. he has to know what he's looking for sort of yeah. thing. And that's um, why he didn't find them fucking. I think that's why is because he was searching for like what has what information has he given her? Yeah. Not like how many times has he made her real lightning if you know what I mean moving on to some theories about Imogen Lexi of course you wrote this in the outline (laughs) so Carolina girl 117 again on reddit they came up with some solid solid theory questions asked why was Imogen trying to kill Violet on their first assessing skills fight when Imogen should know her brother is still alive there are theories that she knows Brennan's and she is an integral part of smuggling weapons so why try to kill Violet I think it all comes back to the timeline of who finds out what but when? So I have no idea, but this is going to be my personal guess. So Imogen was aware of and probably involved since bonding with her dragon in her first year about the Griffin Flyer meetups, but she hadn't personally met Brennan yet or even knew about his involvement. You know, the going off on these secret missions to go meet up and provide supplies for these Griffin Flyers is not the same as going to Arisha like we can assume Liam and Zayden had to get to know Brennan, right? And I think this is also going off the idea that Brennan has been staying in Arisha. I think that's a pretty safe assumption there. So on assessment day, Imogen was probably working off the information that Sorengales are indeed bad. I really do think that she believed that. She was not acting. She's not somebody who really comes off as a good actress. And she really was like, she wanted to kill Violet when they went and asked like when they can do that. And that was Zayden really protecting Violet in that instance because I think he knew about Brennan and he was certainly not going to go and kill Violet and he was making sure his crew also didn't go and kill Violet. Imogen probably thought that Violet would be like Mira and their mom even if she did know about Brennan's involvement. That's totally possible too. Also, General Sorengale literally killed Imogen's one of her parents, if not both, and the only family she's known. Even if she knew one Sorengale and they were like, all right, you know, with Brennan, that fury does not go away. That like want for revenge. I'm going to be straight up honest. I don't blame her for being furious. I don't blame, maybe, you know, don't try to kill someone about it, but like, I don't blame her for being absolutely angry at Violet for something her mother did. It's a watermelon life. Amazing. (laughs) Ask, what if Imogen wipes all of Violet's memories about Zayden to keep them safe? I'm going to just hand the mic to Lex (laughs) for this one. I was firmly in the camp that Imogen would wipe Violet's Arisha memories before they go back to Biscay. Was that a past tense? Yes, because (gasps) now I'm leaning, hold on here. I'm leaning more towards that she will use her shielding ability to block out against Dane. I don't raise your arms like that to me, like in triumph, because I'm not fully fleshing this out right here. But 
there is too much foreshadowing that Violet has the strongest shields in her year. And what Zayden says at the end of the book about teaching her to shield against Dane, that is a very important line, right, that we have to take into consideration going into the next book here. I will also say, however, that when Zayden and crew are talking to the Griffin writers and the Griffin flyers are telling them more about the Venom, Zayden stops her and says, if any of us know more, we are going to get interrogated and that is bad. And so that means that their shields cannot block enough for an interrogation. So I don't think that they can trust their shields, including Violet's shields that they have to start building up to protect against Dane. I don't think they're going to need a plan B. They're going to need a safety net there. And I think that Emogen is going to come in as that safety net. I still have a little bit of triumph in my heart. <laughs> I think that while while first priority is going to be user shields against Dane, but then secondary to that is like wink, wink, not judge. Like, hey, Emogen, you should probably create like a backup plan here. I think that we'll learn that Emogen has been using her powers throughout Violet's first year more than we thought. Like remember oh, yeah. Montserrat? Like I, I'm absolutely convinced that she used her powers with everyone there at Montserrat and nobody knew about it. And I wouldn't be surprised if Emogen still wipes a few key memories without Violet's knowledge, just Dane breaks through Violet's shield. And so like Violet might just not know about this safety net that Imogen has has created. I think that this is also just going to set up so many more trust issues that our whole crew is going to have to work through an iron flame. So I am firmly, firmly like feet, not even planted, feet buried <laughs> in the belief that Violet is going to learn and perfect her shielding before going back to Besgaeth. It's only six months at Besgaeth in Iron Flame. My guess is that we're not in a rush to get back to Besgaeth. She's mentioned it's only half of the school year. I think we're going to spend some time in Arisha at the beginning. But they only have so many days before they have to get back to Besgaeth. I don't think it's going to be a long stretch. And then school starts again, like within like only a few weeks after graduation. Well, and that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's going to be a long stretch by any means. I don't think we're going to spend half the book at Arisha. I think it's going to be like, you know, like, maybe the first 50 to 100 pages. I think it's maybe not 100. Actually, that might be even a little long. Like, But I do think it's going to be a chunk of time at Arisha before we go back to Bezgaeth. And I think that at that time, she's going to be training with Zayden. He's going to be donning his trainer's hat again. And she's going to learn how to shield and really train how to block Dane out. I think that's also going to be a lot of romantic tension between the two of them of like, I'm fucking pissed at you, but I have to learn how to do this from you. And Zayden's going to be trying to win her back. In in Zayden's POV, Garrick says, that's something you'll have to figure out and then teach her how to hide it from Atos if she chooses. My Again, she, he's talking to Zayden, so he's going to be teaching her how to hide it from Atos. I'm strongly assuming that is shielding. I would be so mad if Violet gets her memories wiped, especially from like if we're- but we're so, not talking all memories. We're not I talking know. everything about Zayden. It's like she doesn't know the guy. Like, no, I'm talking about very key bits and pieces but we are living in her head and if we as readers just suddenly don't have that information like if Violet's learning something and she's not able to tap into the information that we learned all of last book for me as a reader that would be infuriating but what again what if it's just the memory of it is gone but the knowledge of it still stays remember how there's a theory about how she knows about Emogen's signet in the first place that Emogen has been possibly wiping memories and yeah see I I got you there like (laughs) just just going off of that so I agree with you that first focus is going to be shielding 
but they cannot rely on that because Zayden and his crew don't rely on that. They make sure that they don't even know all of the information. True. So I think that's where where Emogen is really going to have to come in. And they're going to be very, very strategic about what they take away. I didn't think about her still having the knowledge of it, but the, the memory just being gone. Uh, and that could be really interesting in, in like her narration where it's like, I know this, but I can't remember. Like, I could see some really cool writing and her trying to figure this out in her head. God damn mm-hmm. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm not convinced. I'm not. I want to be. I'm saying this on the mic and for thousands of people to hear. I am not convinced. However, I understand your point of view much more and I'm more okay with it happening. That's my stance. Okay. All right. Can we go on to something happier that I can't Yes, think about? let's talk about what Nicole has been dying to talk about this whole podcast episode. Zayden and Violet. So Alex Anderson on TikTok asked if we're hoping for a mated bonds. You know, like what sort of drama do we think will be part of this romantic arc? I'm just going to like crack my knuckles <laughs> and get into this. So I think that betrayal is going to be the big drama arc with Zayden and Vi in Iron Flame, possibly continuing on forward. Like like we've mentioned a few times in this podcast, I do think that we're going to be uncovering secret after secret after secret in Iron Flame. And that is going to be a big level of, holy shit, I thought I loved you. I thought I knew you. And who the hell are you? I think that's going to be a big part of this romantic arc between the two of them. However, I did, something is bugging me and I don't know the answer to it because in the new snippet excerpt it's not even like a full excerpt little snippet that we got from Rebecca Yaros there's a note from Zayden that says I'm still really damned angry with you why is he angry with her did she do something stupid and rash in Arisha is he mad at her for almost dying on him and she's like mad at him for that is he mad at her for her reaction after the Griffin writers and like being really angry with him. And so he's just choosing to be angry with her. Do you have an idea? What do you think he's mad at her about? I have a feeling that we don't know fully, but just she, he could be mad at her for being mad at him. True. That is a real feeling. (laughs) That is a real, the amount of times I've just been like frustrated with Brett about something. And he's like, I'm just frustrated with you too. And I'll like, why are you frustrated with me? He's like, cause I have no reason to be mad at me. I love it. It's romantic drama. It's beautiful. But I do think that the drama of secrets is going to be the main theme between these two. Also, long distance is hard. Like anyone who has been in a long distance relationship knows the difficulty of that. And I think that that's going to be really hard next year, especially if, in in my opinion, if Zayden can't go back to the Navarian side, like he was supposed to survive war games. Is he going to be able to just like stroll up and Colonel Atos and General Sorengale are just like, what's up, Zayden? Like, they, like there's no way they're going to be like, you're alive. You were supposed to die. I could see a scenario, however, where Zayden, I mentioned this earlier, where Zayden gets captured and is interrogated by Dane and Dane's dad. And like that literally just makes me sick to think about it. But I could see this being like a huge rescue mission and also a big, I forgive you. And I realize how stupid I was being moment between the two of them that makes them like come together. No matter what, I think that their makeup is going to happen in Iron Flame. I think it's going to be a big dramatic moment of the book oh really I I see it being more of a slow burn and and then probably like Mm. a something that be the 
straw that broke the camel's back, but in the opposite direction, like a good thing. <laughs> you know what? You say that. I, I would actually, I think I would actually prefer that. I always love a, so, a slow burn. So that's actually more of what I would prefer. I'm realizing I did not answer the mated, the the mating bond question of part of this. I'm going to actually just go off my notes and and say, yes, I, I do pretty firmly believe that there's some kind of mates situation here. I do think that since we are not confirmed that mated bonds are here in the human world in this particular world that Rebecca's created, I think that there's some kind of magic at play or some kind of thing at play where the bond between Taryn and Segale basically, for lack of a better term, leaks into Zayden and Violet. My only hole in my theory with that, though, is that there was a lot of faded mates foreshadowing before she ever bonded with Taryn. So I don't know about that. I do think that in some way, shape, or form, they're going to be mates. Do I think it's going to be right outstated? The word mates? I'm not sure, but it's something definitely deeper than love between these two that has them connected together. I don't feel like it's necessarily magic. I think that this might be a little bit more of like a, I'll say soulmates versus like a mated bond because again, I'm just going back to what we know and the dragons are the ones who hold the magic. The dragons are the ones who are magical. That is part of the bond of the magic of these bonds, both for Segal and Taren and for the dragons and their writers and, and all of it. That, that is based off of magic. And Zayden and Violet individually before but without their dragons do not have magic. Humans are normal in this world. So that is why I don't think that it's necessarily faded mates or like like a magical element to this like there is in other books and other universes. But I do think agree that there is something much deeper than just that initial connection to them. It it goes way more than just like, I'll call it surface level love and attraction. I agree with you. And I will say this, that if it does turn out that mates are in human world too in this, in the Empyrean series, I would not be mad about it (laughs) in the fucking slightest. Faded mates is one of my favorite tropes. And if that happens, I would be just delighted so tay reads underscore from instagram asks do you know zayden will be the main love interest throughout all five books or do you think we will meet someone new we haven't met yet and again more questions about end game related to that above question there so there's been a lot of speculation about a new romantic love interest and i'm going to mainly save that for the next question that we have i could see a spark with someone else but i don't think we're going to have a triangle by any means first and foremost Rebecca doesn't love them. Rebecca has been out and about about saying, I don't enjoy a love triangle, which the fans stood up and rejoiced at that. Also, and this was a big clue when I was listening to her interview with Jennifer L. Armentrout, Rebecca mentioned that she's never written a multi-book series where there's one main love interest. With that knowledge, I think I'm pretty confident in saying that they are going to be endgame. Now, does that mean endgame to the end of one of their lives? God, I hope not, but I definitely could see it happening and I will be a fucking mess if that does happen. But I'm absolutely confident that no matter what, they are end game. Their dragons are bonded. You cannot get much more locked in than that. I kind of alluded to, I could see it where Zayden doesn't make it out of the series. If Taryn dies, Sigail dies, Zayden dies. I cannot overstate how fucking wrecked I will be. I literally wrote this in the outline. I'm tearing up writing this in the outline. <laughs> like I did not I did not enjoy writing that. I do not enjoy thinking it. But this is also 
a book. This is a universe where dramatic and high tension things happen. It's not going to be hunky dory. I could see something about that happening. I mean, like the thing that really maybe not cements this for me, but really alludes it to me is in episode six and in episode seven, we're going to be talking about this too. We're starting a you're going to be the death of me count. That's terrifying, but that's also not an accident with how many times he says it in the series. Yep. (laughs) I'm nervous. And then Anna on TikTok asks, in the Iron Flame snippet, we're introduced to Eric. What if he's a soft launch for a secondary love interest? How would we feel about that? So like I said, I was going to talk about this more in this section. I do not think a love interest, a secondary love interest is going to necessarily happen. I could see, however, a infatuation interest on Violet's part. And I'm not going to lie, a jealous Zayden Mm. I would not be mad about that. I do think uh, we have no idea who Arik is. Like, I'm going to just be straight up honest. It's like one half of a sentence just mentioning a name Arik. So this is total speculation. I'm getting more like ally vibes in my gut from it. Maybe he's a new marked one first year and he's going to be like a Sloan friend or even a Sloan love interest. Would I be mad about a full on second love interest for Violet? It would really depend on the love interest. If it's someone who is flirty and lovely and confident, I'd be kind of maybe not here for it, but I'd be like, okay, I can sit at this table. But if it's like a Gale scenario from Hunger Games, I will riot. Absolutely riot. Like I hate the, but I like them both trope. It drives me crazy. And I don't see Violet as someone who can't make up her mind or can't make a decision when it comes to her heart. She is brilliant. She is blunt. She does not give me love triangle vibes. I would also be okay with it because I do know that again, only if it's like someone who is not a Gale scenario, I would be okay with it because I do know she's going to end up with Zayden. I don't think that Zayden's going to have a secondary love interest. He does ask about a Griffin flyer at the end of the book, and Bodhi says Serena and her sister are both alive. Some have speculated that there might be some romantic involvement with Zayden in one of these Griffin flyers. We actually, we made a, or by, I shouldn't say we, I took over TikTok one day, and I made a reaction video to one of the comments that we received, and it blew up on the internet and boy oh boy did I piss some people off so Nicole and I you know like it's never quite 50 50 with with social media it's a a big energy for for both of us and we really tackle it you know day by day however each of us can do it so anyway so I was the one managing the comments that evening and I texted Nicole I was like you are not allowed to post these kind of controversial videos anymore because I don't like having to deal with the comment section I think I finally just pieced out it's like I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm not here like I agree with all of you. Stop yelling at me. I do. But here's the irony. I do too. I definitely agree with all of them too. I was so like, oh, I did not expect this to take off. Like like we had people clipping our video and making it like posting it on their own native feeds. And I was like, oh dear. Oh no. So again, now I have to say it for the fandom. I personally do not see this happening. Do you hear that? I personally do not see this happening. With Given how infatuated Zayden is, especially at the end of the book when we get his POV, we see it again and again. I'm not giving her up. I'm going to give it all to like get, get her back and whatever not. I don't see him saying, mm, never mind, I'm going to go fuck this Griffin flyer. I don't see that happening. Again, that's why I do see, if anything, it would be an infatuation on Violet's part. But even then, I do think it's just going to be the romantic tension between the two and them being the main couple throughout the entire series. <sighs> I'm sweating. <laughs> we got nervous. 
kind of move, moving away from Violet but onto a different relationship here for Zayden. Oh, and, and also not the Griffin writer. Also, <laughs> Never again. Yeah. Never again. Even when we get to that section in the book, I don't know if I have the heart to cover it. I truly don't. <laughs> Erica Leanne 26 asks, do you think we'll get to hear more about Zayden's mother in the next book? My answer is absolutely. Definitely. Yes. The first book has a small throwaway line and then it doesn't mention Zayden's mother for like the rest of the book. Now, of course, it's we get it in Zayden's POV and Zayden is very secretive. So, of course, he's not talking to Violet about his family very much. But we do learn little things about his dad and his relationship with his dad. And we just never hear anything else about his mom. Like I said earlier in this episode, the first few books, I believe, will focus on our main, I'll say, human characters and their histories, family dynamics, learn their secrets, all of that. And I believe something about Zayden's mom could absolutely be another one of his secrets. Some speculate that she is indeed alive. I I believe that I am also one of these speculators who believe that she's alive. Yeah, same. It's very possible that there's more to this story, especially after hearing how both Liam's parents were executed. It sets us up for like a different outcome on Zayden's family side. Could it be that it was his mom's mom or dad that Sagal bonded with? I We've kept saying grandfather, grandfather, who she was bonded with. And, and someone on TikTok actually did correct us. I'm so sorry. I, I don't have you in front of me, so I don't have your name to credit. But, but we have gotten that he's the grandson of her previous writer. So it could have been his grandmother as well. So something to consider. I will say that I don't think that his mom is part of the rebellion or was part of the rebellion. Just not from the tone that Zayden had when he was mentioning her. I think that like maybe she was on the Navarian side and that's what caused so much complicatedness that Zayden's just like in his head like, nope, I'm not even going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. So some have also speculated that she's a griffin flyer. And no matter what, I agree with you. I definitely think we're meeting her. If not an iron flame, I definitely think by book three when it's going to be, at least from my assumption, would be heavy politicking. I do think her identity is going to be some like big, big, big shock. I think that this is going to be, like you mentioned, one of the big secrets that he has. And I find this shit delicious. I'm so excited for this. I love the idea that she's a Griffin Flyer. Like, right. I love that. I love that. And then that's one of the reasons that Finn Ryerson, like, was part, like, drove the rebellion. Now, again, that also complicates things where it's like, why is Zayden not even willing to think about his mom? Not just talk about his mom, but not even think about her. So it makes me think there's some bad blood there, which makes me wonder if she's on the Navarian side. So anyway. Maybe I- she, like, when Fen started really like speaking out for the rebellion and everything maybe she like dipped out I don't maybe she like super didn't support it god there's so many options right I don't know or maybe it's all super lame and she died when he was little and he doesn't want to think about it like I, I <laughs> there's no way there is no fucking way with that line in his POV there's no way Rebecca knew what she was doing when she wrote that line she's like yes suckers <laughs> like, I like, cannot wait to read the special editions two additional Zayden POVs in fact I, I realized that I did not pre-order it, Nicole, I think you pre-ordered it. So if I could borrow that book from you and your oh, absolutely. Oh, we, we'll probably read it together, and then maybe we'll do a bonus episode on it. Obviously, obviously. Oh, amazing. Now moving on to Brennan, we got a lot of Brennan questions. Wild Redhead seven six six four on Instagram asked, "I have this theory that goes along with y'all's theory that Naolin brought Brennan back from the brink of death, and that's what killed him. But I think he did it because they were lovers, and wanted to know if y'all thought that was plausible, or if you think." the bringing him back definitely had to be for the good of the rebellion and that's it ah the naolin and brennan were lovers 
theory. I am so I'm so here for it. This is Same. one of those just like why not? Like why not? Right? I I love these kind of theories. I actually do agree that they were particularly close, whether that was platonic or or more than that, because Naoline wouldn't just try to stretch his power to the limit for anybody. And I'm sure Taryn was telling him stop, 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 as we know he is wont to do. I think that Naolin was emotionally caught up in the moment and knew that he could potentially do something about saving Brennan for the person that he is, not just the power or his purpose to the rebellion, to Navarre, but really for him as a person. And that really cements that they were very, very close emotionally. And he did. He did do something about it and it cost him his own life. I'm so interested to learn more about their relationship and to learn what really happened. Did Fen Ryerson really shoot Brennan down with an arrow? And that is how Naolin brought him back. Did Naolin die from something else? And it actually had nothing to do with Brennan. And it, it's like a lie that they're all telling to make his death more heroic than it was. I don't know. I have no idea. And I wonder how soon we're going to get these answers in Iron Flame. I personally think that we're going to open up more with Bezgaeth and then learn throughout the book the pieces of what happened in Arisha. I, I definitely think that Brennan, like I mentioned a few times, that Brennan's going to be a main character going forward in our story. I do think that with Violet back at Bezgaia, I could see her writing back and forth with Brennan. Like, and oh. we'd get, you know, more information about him and his side. Of course, this would be more sneakily. I don't know how they'd be able to do that in a way that isn't just blatantly obvious, but I do think we're going to get a lot more Brennan information going forward for sure. Rach Brills asked, do you think Brennan has a relationship with Taryn since Taryn's first writer was Naolin, who presumably brought Brennan back to life? If so, is that the reason Taryn chose Violet? I think it depends on Brennan's relationship with Naolin. You and I both think that they were romantically involved. And if that is the case, I obviously Brennan would be very, very familiar with Taryn. I don't think it's the entire reason by any means that Taryn chose Violet. I think Sigail heavily influenced him. I think also the fact that she was protecting Indarna made him think oh yeah, this person's worthy of me being their writer. This is such a boring answer, but like it depends. I do lean towards him being familiar with Taryn for sure. And and I agree that it's not the reason Taryn chose Violet, but Taryn does know of Brennan. I do want to point out, though, we have to remember that dragon relationships with other dragons writers is very, very rare. Even Taryn almost killed Zayden when he tried to put a saddle on him. And Zayden yeah. is his mate's writer and like they're as much like family as two non-bonded dragon and, and writer can be and there's even some tension between them right so I don't think that Taryn and Brennan would have their own relationship I think that they would know of one another absolutely more so than most people would but not have their own relationship that would that that would especially motivate or or influence Taryn and his choice to go with Violet I will say this if there is a moment of Taryn and Brennan and like Violet kind of being like the go-between, I would be so here for it. Let's wrap up this AMA bonus episode with Vanessa HK asking, do we have one fourth wing theory that is very little evidence, but you desperately hope it's true? And I'm combining this too with just what's our favorite theory, which was a very common question that we got. I have two answers to this. One has smaller evidence and one has a lot of evidence. One of my favorite theories, and this will be a shock to everyone on the podcast, is that Indarna is royal. Me too. I <laughs> love that idea. I I don't think it's highly evident, but I do think there's a lot of supporting evidence that that could be true. My second answer is also not going to shock anyone, and that is Zayden is an intrinsic. 
I went back and forth on this one for a really long time. Like, do I want this to be true? Do I not want this to be true? And I ultimately do think I land on the side that I do want this to be true, mainly because it is fucking delicious. I actually have a moment in episode seven that I was reading. I was preparing this outline on the plane and um, when I was just flying back and forth between Asheville and I literally like had such a like (gasps) moment that the two because I was sitting in a middle seat of course these two guys (laughs) were on either side of me and they kind of like looked in my direction like are you okay I also had to shield my screen away from this older couple when I was working on chapter 32 it was great good experiences all around but I will say like there's a lot of evidence behind this so I can't really put this necessarily in this question but it is one of my favorite theories and I do hope it's true mainly not because I want Zayden to be seen as the good guy here I do think it would create a lot of like ooh, hello morally gray man but mainly because I do think it would add such a delicious dramatic tension to our story and Darna is the equivalent of dragon royalty is also one of my absolute favorites I will also say that Violet as the prophesized savior of the realm is another big one for me oh, yeah. I don't agree with the she kills one of her siblings part of the theory but just that this is kind of a prophecy she is more powerful she is the I'll say chosen one for instance here. I was way too excited when during episode six talking about her signet and how it aligned with the third with the brothers and and the fables book like there it's all right there. So excited about that one. Another favorite is Melgren's dragon purposefully creating the loophole with the rebellion relics and that is how they have their second signet and that is why if there's more than three of them then Melgren can't see. It just adds such a deeper level of complexity to the dragon politics and how they're pulling the strings. I don't know if I believe that one but I do like it a lot. And then, you know, another one is that the Navarian government is working with or even controlling the Venon. We'll talk about this a lot more in episode eight, our final episode. But Dane's dad sent Zayden and crew to Athbine knowing the Venon would attack. I'm pretty sure we can like confirm that there, right? One of the Venon said, no wonder we were called here. Brennan, when he's introduced to the story at the very end, he references that it was absolutely not an accident or something along those lines. I don't know if, you know, they were drawn there by the powers of the box or if Navarian leadership is just way, way, way worse than we ever expected. And they are literally working with the Venom here. I can't believe it. I don't already mention Emogen's, you know. I was going to say, it's your girl. That's another That's another favorite theory as well, how she's hiding this the- this mind wiping segment from everybody. I'm sorry. I'm just starting to list off theories now because they're all my favorites, except no offense, the Jack is dead one. That is not one of my favorites. I don't even. Cons- <laughs> I'm sorry. Jack is not dead. Jack is not dead. (laughs) It is just so cemented in my brain that Jack is dead. I also want to echo another one of my least favorite theories is that Liam will come back. I did not because I don't like Liam. I fucking love Liam. And his death is such a powerful moment in the story where him coming back would just not cheapen it so much. It would cheapen it. And I just don't love it. I like my heart wishes. But if he actually did come back, I would be pretty upset I, I would lose trust in the story if that was if that Ooh, whoa fighting yeah. words there so last but not least there was one question that we received a lot from you all and that is are we inviting listeners and or other collaborators onto the show? And we meant to address this actually in our first AMA and we uh, totally forgot. So we're addressing it now. But because of the nature of the deep dive episodes, those will always be the two of us. 
Yep. And, you know, we've received actually a lot of pitches for authors to come on as guests. And we just have to be really selective about making sure, first of all, that the author is up your alley. So we're so excited about the authors that we are going to bring on and you are absolutely going to love them. We're not, we can't share yet. You're not ready. Oh my God. And again, I'm going to say it's not Rebecca. So as of right now, what we're doing is definitely more of Lexi and I doing these deep dive episodes because that's what we hear you all loving so much. We love the bonus episodes and we are excited to have some other people on. Again, we have an author that we're freaking excited to tell you all about. When it comes to listeners, we do have something that we've been hearing a lot from you guys, which is starting a discord and having something where you all are able to collaborate and talk about theories and we can talk together in real time. We totally hear you. We've talked a lot about it ourselves. We are really planning on making something along these lines happen in the future. We were not expecting this to blow up in the way that it did. And so we're just kind of needing to take some time to figure it all out so we don't jump into something that we're not able to keep up with because we really want to be able to spend that time with you all. And we don't want to half-ass any of this. And so we want to make sure that we do it right and we set it up for the long term. We've got a lot of things down the pipeline that we're really excited for for you all. And with that, that is today's theorizing, theorizing? Sure. Episode. Remember, we do have our fourth wing quiz going on right now. It is linked in the episode description and is all over our social profiles. We're slowly but surely starting to put out some of the results and they are so much fun. You all. So good. So much fun. And of course, speaking of which, on social media, gotta follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Fantasy Fangirls Pod. And as we all plan for Iron Flames release, we, Nicole and I, will be at Barnes & Noble in Glendale, aka Denver, Colorado. So if you're local, we'd love to see you. Let us know if you're also be there and we'll come say hi and of course don't worry friends like you all are asking if we are going to cover iron flame like of course we're gonna cover (laughs) iron flame just like we are with fourth wing here our reaction video is going to be on november 10th and then the episode one deep dive is going to be starting november 20th and then of course new episodes every week on mondays and as always please 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 rate and review the show we officially hit 1000 five-star reviews on spotify holy shit y'all but please keep it coming it is so helpful for getting us up the charts and getting more people to discover the show a lot of people have discovered the show just from searching in Spotify and that's truly a testament to how much you all are rating and reviewing if you haven't already drop a little love note in the Apple reviews section Lexi and I literally text back and forth they make (laughs) our day when we when we receive a new one we're like oh my god did you see this we send screenshots to each other and just and just weep and last but not least you all know what I'm gonna say share this with your fellow fourth wing friends that person who just fucking finally finished the book that you've been begging to read the book for three months send them this podcast we've had a lot of people mention how this is curing their fourth wing hangover before iron flame that's our goal we love it we're planning on doing the same thing with the iron flame hangover because we know rebecca's gonna wreck us so thank you all so much for sharing and keep it going we will talk to you all soon bye-bye bye in the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.